Hi guys, it's Abby. And Shabazz. Welcome back to Beyond the Bin, the podcast for real conversations about the future of the waste industry and what we can do together to protect the environment and strengthen our local communities. Today, we're talking to two Casella employees, Abby Webb, Director of Sustainability, and Kim Crosby, Environmental Compliance Manager. They're going to give us some insider knowledge on the future of food waste and the role that it plays in resource renewal. Thanks, Abby. Let's get into the conversation with Abby and Kim to learn more. Hi, Abby. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey. Thank you for having us. So, Abby, Kim, how did you get started in the waste and recycling industry? I've been in the waste and recycling industry since the early 90s. I graduated from a Vermont State College with a degree in environmental science and how you have been with Casella for almost 14 years. And my story, this is Abby, it's pretty similar. Um, I started in environmental studies in college, um, moved on to Casella shortly after college and was really lucky to, to be able to, to join just as we were getting into newer forms of recycling and now food waste. Um, so I'm really excited to, uh, to be having this conversation with you guys today. So when most people think about food waste, they probably picture like apple cores and banana peels. Is that the kind of food waste that Casella manages? It is, um, in addition to other kinds of food waste. Um, yes, it's the apple core and the banana peel, but it also includes parts of food that are typically discarded um, rather than eaten, such as rinds, eggshells, coffee grounds, vegetables, any leftovers that have gone bad, or any kind of plated food scraps that don't get eaten. Yeah, and I think I would just add, so in addition to the household food scraps that we're all very familiar with, um, we also manage food scraps from cafeterias, restaurants, grocery stores, um, and even all the way up to industrial food manufacturing facilities. So a lot of the food waste we manage is is actually, you know, liquid. It's It's large tankers of liquids or, you know, a full dumpster of banana peels or, you know, some kind of residual. You know, it's it's not necessarily all just uh, the the stuff that we're used to thinking about, um, but but it you know there's a lot of it. I can say that. Yeah, so it's so much more than just banana peels. <laughs> yes. Can you just explain when you say residuals, like what that sort of defines or what that? Describes? Yeah, it's a great point. We we have a tendency to use this lingo in our business, but residuals is just any kind of um, you know waste product byproduct that that doesn't have a use. It's not the intended use for the uh, for the material. So so anything the the manufacturers don't want essentially is a residual. On that topic, I would also add we tend to another distinction we draw is between pre-consumer and post-consumer food waste. Pre-consumer food waste has a tendency to be what we would call clean, meaning it's only going to be food waste without other miscellaneous stuff. Post-consumer food waste is is the kind of stuff that an individual on the street might toss something in there that's not food waste. And that's where it gets a lot trickier. We're really good at managing pre-consumer food waste. Post-consumer food waste is where it gets trickier. So how do we collect this stuff and then where do we take it? So food scraps are typically collected at the point of generation. Um, at the home, most people collect their scraps in a small countertop bin and then empty that bin into a backyard composter. Uh, in Vermont, residents can bring their food waste to any drop-off or transfer station since they're all required to collect food scraps. If a household or a business um, uses a curbside service provider to haul their food scraps away, the scraps could be collected using wheeled carts. 
Um, really large customers like grocery stores might have a dumpster or a self-contained compactor. Um, manufacturers that produce a, a liquid organic waste may use a tank. Um, and then the majority of food waste that we pick up is taken to a certified organic facility where it's turned into compost or taken to an anaerobic digester. Could we could we talk a little bit about like how composting works, if you could explain that operation? Sure, I can take that one. So, and I'll I'll talk about both composting and anaerobic digestion, the two uh, solutions that Kim mentioned there. They're similar, so they're both they're they're both natural biological processes that we're using to break down the food waste into something that plants can take up and use. Composting, what we're going to do is we're going to take those food scraps mix them up with leaves and wood chips and turn them periodically. So picture long piles of, of food waste, you know, taller than me, taller than you. And, and we're going to turn those periodically um, to produce a finished product, to, to produce that finished compost. And when it's done, it doesn't smell like food waste anymore. It has this nice, earthy, rich smell to it, and it's great for your garden. You can do that in your backyard, too. It's not going to be the giant piles. It's going to be a small pile, but it's the same concept. The other system that we use is called anaerobic digestion. So in that case, same idea, using natural processes to break the stuff down. But in that case, we're actually not going to turn it. We're not going to try to um, have uh, oxygen in the process. Anaerobic means without oxygen. So we're going to put it into a tank with very limited oxygen. Oftentimes, you're going to see it mixed in with manure um, and, and other organic liquids. Um, and, and what we do there is we're recruiting a different kind of bacteria that, that operates well without oxygen and actually produces methane. So it produces methane gas, which we capture to produce renewable energy. And then when that's done, the, uh, the material coming out of that digester, again, is a stable finished product that you can put on the land to help crops grow. Um, so two great ways to manage food waste. I wouldn't say one is better than the other. It's just, you know, from place to place, one might make sense versus the other depending on what's available. We're fortunate to have quite a few composters and digesters in the Northeast. How much of that is driven by the region's food waste policies and regulations? So I would just quickly say, you know, if you're if you're looking to build one of these facilities, a composter or a digester, um, you want to be sure that you're going to have enough food waste to keep it running. And on the flip side, if you're generating a lot of food waste and you're taking the time to separate it out, you want to be sure you have a place to take it. And that sort of chicken egg challenge is always a little bit of a stumbling block in getting these programs going. So that's really what I think some of these regulations were trying to solve. And, I, you know, I think they've had mixed success. Kim, you probably have more to say on that. Just to give a little bit of background on the various states that we operate in, in Massachusetts, um, they ban disposal on commercial organic waste from businesses and institutions that generate one ton or more a week. Massachusetts hasn't lowered that threshold, and I don't believe they will lower it until markets or outlets for food waste develop. Um, the state of New York passed the Food Donation and Food Scrap Recycling Law in 2019, and that goes into effect January 1st, 2022. And that law states that large generators must donate excess edible food and recycle all remaining food scraps if they are within 25 miles of an organic facility. The state of Vermont by far has the most aggressive policy on food waste with the passage of the Universal Recycling Law in 2012. The law targeted large generators first starting in 2014 that were located within 20 miles of a certified organic facility and then phased in additional generators over a period of three years. 
by July 1st, 2020, all food waste will be banned from all households and businesses with no exemption for distance. Um, the law also required solid waste haulers to offer curbside collection of food waste to their commercial customers and apartments with four or more units. The law initially required haulers to offer that service to residents. However, that section of the law was removed after learning that over 70% of Vermonters are already backyard composting. I bet you had no idea that your food waste was so highly regulated. Next time you're <laughs> chopping a carrot or peeling a banana, think about all that. So some of these programs have been in place for quite a while. But, you know, given that there are obviously still some challenges that remain, what are some of those challenges? So collecting food scraps in rural areas of the state uh, isn't feasible and is another reason why Vermont eliminated the requirement for haulers to provide collection at the residential level. Um, another challenge is contamination. Um, food waste that has not been properly separated from regular waste would be rejected at an organics facility and would have to be sent for disposal. Those who have already made the choice to divert food waste, either by backyard composting or bringing it to a collection point, or in the case of a business, has a high sustainability goal, they typically do a good job at separation. However, residents who are not educated on how to properly separate their food waste and businesses who um, have high turnover and employees are not properly trained, they're gonna, probably going to have chronic issues with contamination. Yeah, so again, when we talk about contamination, just to be clear, it's anything that's not food that's going into your bin. So, you know, with some exceptions. Yeah, stickers, but... twist ties, plastic bags. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I think it's important to keep in mind with food waste that essentially we're in the same place with food waste that we were with recycling like 30 years ago. Um, it's a new program. We're asking people to, to learn something and, and do things differently. And I think there are a lot of folks who are maybe frustrated that it hasn't happened overnight. With recycling, it took a while for folks to learn what belongs in their recycling bins, and and I would argue they're they're still having some trouble with that. Let's be honest, there there's um a lot of stuff in folks' recycling bins that doesn't belong in there, and so we just need to uh, really acknowledge that there's an education that needs to happen here, as well as a culture shift uh, to really care and be thoughtful about what we're tossing in these food waste bins. That's a good point, Abby. You think about how long recycling has been in place, and we're still struggling seeing. People put the wrong things in the bin. Think about how far we have to go with food waste. Yep. Yeah. But I think it is surmountable. I, I you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see. I, I love this. Some of our best sorting happen, actually happens with like the little kids, like third graders. Third graders get this. It's just like, okay, apple core goes in here. Plastic cup goes over here. So I think, you know, on some level, we need to, to listen to the kids and let the kids teach us what, what to do. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, Obviously, food waste management, you know, if we think about it, it's kind of a sort of an old form of, of waste material that we've dealt with for like centuries on the planet, but we're sort of reintroducing it to, you know, to our communities, right? Particularly now as, as these regulations and policies come down the pipeline. And I guess with that, you know, are there, there new food waste technologies or innovations that you're excited about that you see? that are in place or that are, you know, that are coming out soon? For me, I would say uh, depackaging units and those units remove organic material from packaging and turn it into a slurry. And then it's that slurry is transported to a digester. I think it'll be exciting to see how that technology evolves and how much more organic material it will capture from the, from the waste stream. 
Um, there is an existing technology in place that I would be remiss if I did not mention, um, and it unfortunately does not get the recognition it deserves, and that is using organic material that decomposes in the landfill for a gas-to-energy plant. Casella's has a state-of-the-art landfill gas-to-energy facility in Coventry, and that produces enough gas to power 7,000 homes 24 hours, seven days a week. And the organic material that the landfill receives is an important ingredient in that equation. Yeah, so two big points um, there, Kim. One, I think people would be astounded if they realized how much packaged food and packaged drinks go into landfills and incinerators every day. And there's just a lot of unusable product that comes out of manufacturing facilities or stuff that expires on the grocery shelves. And it's it's really, um, you know, until you see it for yourself, you, you would never really believe how much of it there is. Uh, so I agree, depackaging is really exciting because that, you know, it can allow us to, to capture that organic material and do something good with it. But then your other point is great too, you know, that it, to the extent that this material can't be properly sorted or can't be efficiently transported to the composters and the digesters, it's great that the landfills are there securing that material and capturing gas to produce renewable energy too. So we need to think of this holistically as a system. And, and the landfills are part of that. I would just briefly mention, um, I've had the, the privilege to work with a technology called Grind to Energy. So for colleges and hospitals, um, groceries, this is a great technology. I think we're gonna do a whole episode on it at some point probably. So I would, I would encourage people to check that out, but, but basically it, it, you, it allows you to process your food waste in that type of a facility into a slurry and send that to a digester. So you're, uh, you know, there's a ton of benefits to that. I won't, I won't uh, do any spoilers. And not so flashy technology that I would mention is backyard composting. It's proven, it's a great way to manage your food scrap. So if you've got the, some space, I would definitely encourage you to do that. And it's great for your garden. And then also neighborhood drop-offs for those areas where backyard composting maybe isn't quite as accessible. We're seeing, especially in urban areas, um, sort of this, this rise up of, of neighborhood drop-off points. And, and that's another great way to do this. So again, not flashy, but it works. Abby, do you have one nugget of information that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Sure, yeah. So stepping back a little bit, I think it's important to remember why we're doing all of this. So. You may have seen this statistic, but it's still shocking to me every time I see it. Uh, 40% of the food that's grown in this country doesn't get eaten. So again, I'll say that again, 40% of the food in, that's grown in this country goes uneaten. So just think about all the farmland, wow. all the fertilizer, the pesticides, the energy, the water that went into growing that food, and 40% of it just got wasted somewhere along the way. Another fact on top of that, millions of people in this country uh, will experience food insecurity this year. So you've got food being wasted, you've got people going hungry. Yes, composting and anaerobic digestion are important, but just moving our food waste from this bin to that bin isn't going to solve those underlying root problems. I think it's it's important that we all really think about why are we why are we wasting food in the first place? How do we prevent food waste? And then think about ways to get food to the people who need it. That statistic you shared with us, Abby, is really shocking. I had no idea that we waste that much food in this country. I feel like there is a greater chance of change if more people take the time to educate themselves on these issues. So thank you so much for sharing this information with us today. So we can all do better 
Can you each share some tips you have for reducing food waste at home? I would say that a key to reducing food waste is to plan and buy only what you need. Plan out your meals for the week. Donate unedible food when possible. And certainly be mindful of purchasing products and packaging that cannot be recycled. Yeah, so I'm going to take it to a, you know, really personal here in my own household. I am fortunate to have a husband who loves to eat leftovers. Um, and I would also say that we have a bit of a competition in our house, usually around Saturday or Sunday night, you know, the, the fridge is full of leftovers. And so we, we compete with each other to see who can come up with a meal that uses the most mm -hmm. containers of leftovers all in one dish. Yes, we are nerds, but it's, but it works for us. <laughs> awesome well thank you for joining us today this was an awesome discussion abby and kim i'm glad we were able to share all these nuggets of information with our listeners yeah thanks for having us guys and thanks for the podcast it's great i listen to it i love it thanks for joining us today to learn about food waste and the role it plays as a valuable resource and how to manage it responsibly be sure to join us for our next episode. In the meantime, don't forget to follow this podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share your feedback and future topics you'd like to learn about. Talk soon! Mm -hmm.